Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Bibles again to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. just read uh, verses 1 through to 4 for all we can have time to cover tonight. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 1 through to 4. Now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. That no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, in our last uh, session or so, we've been looking at the first part of this verse. Uh, or the first part of these uh, verses particularly that Paul in his exhortation says I beseech you brethren by two things by number one what? by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ referring to the actual physical literal actual bodily coming of the Lord Jesus and by number two by our gathering together unto him which is spoken of as the what? what's the word? rapture Okay, now, let me just say it again. We do believe in a rapture. We do believe in the catching up of the saints, but we don't believe in a sneaky one. We're not going out with our tail between our legs. Well, we haven't got a tail, have we, praise God? We're going out victoriously. Amen? Okay, so we do believe in a rapture, but not a secret one seven years before Jesus comes or a sneaky one. So... So I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, and he exhorts them not to be uh, shaken in mind, mentally disturbed, or to be troubled uh, by various things, or shook up, and not, uh, neither by spirit, by a false prophetic spirit utterance, or some spirit, or, uh, spirit utterance there, nor by word, some prophetic word or teaching, nor by letter as supposedly uh, coming from the apostles, as the day of Christ, the day when, we, when he comes and are gathering together unto him, the day of Christ is at hand. And then we looked at the tremendous warning here. Let no man deceive you by any means. And we said last week, that I believe now that the, the secret rapture theory and the any moment coming of Jesus has been one of the biggest deceptions foisted on the church. And so we have tremendous lot of warnings against deception in the New Testament. For that day, what day? The coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto him, that day shall not come. And he doesn't say except there come a secret rapture first. He says that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And then uh, we finished up in our last uh, session on the two major events that we're looking at, one of them tonight, that day shall not come except there come what first? A falling away first. And number two, the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, what I want to share with you tonight, I hope uh, 
it's not too heavy for you, it doesn't hurt you to think, I know some of us it does, but uh, it doesn't hurt us to think. Now, I just want to lay out a pattern here first of all that you need to look at. Alright, now on the uh, notes I've given you tonight, let's just see that's what we've got here, the second coming of Christ and the gathering together unto him of the saints along with the dead in Christ. So, dead in Christ rise first, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so that shall not come except a great falling away first and the man of sin be, uh, be revealed, as we saw tonight, uh, sitting in the temple of God. And so, questions that are asked over the years and uh, questions I've had to search out and uh, uh, I trust that uh, you listen to these things even if you don't agree with me. If you disagree, please disagree agreeably with me. Okay, we'll agree to disagree agreeably. Can you say amen? Hello, me. As Bob Mumford says, I can't help it if I'm right. Now, the problem is this. Over the years, I was taught uh, things I had to unlearn that Jesus would come any moment and the saints would be caught up into the air. That would be the first thing that would take place. And then after that, the Antichrist would be revealed and he would make a covenant with the Jews for seven years and in the midst of the 70th week, supposedly of Daniel, uh, 70th week prophecy, in the midst of the week, he would break this covenant with the Jews and he would set himself up in a rebuilt Jewish temple uh, and offer a pig upon the altar and sprinkle the p blood of the pig round there and desecrate the thing and break the covenant and reveal himself as the Antichrist sitting in the temple of God and that there would be a rebuilt temple. Now, how many have been taught that over the years? How many have not been taught that over the years? How many haven't been taught anything over the years? <laughs> Blessed ignorance. At least you haven't had to unlearn uh, the things that I've had to unlearn, okay? So I don't like to corrupt your pure minds uh, with these things that intelligent people like Peter and I have had to unlearn, you know. All right, Peter, I'm looking at you. I know we've got 15 Peters in this place, but there's only... <laughs> All right. So I want to share with you under number A here, first of all, I want to lay out a hermeneutical principle of interpretation on what I've got here is the typical triology concerning three things, the temple, the Antichrist, and the apostasy. And I want to work through and see how far we get tonight. Uh, we'll try and uh, finish this lesson if possible. Uh, try and exhaust the lesson before we exhaust you. Uh, we want to look at it first in the heavenly pattern, then in the earthly pattern, and the church pattern. I had to learn that one when I was a missionary in America because I thought I was saying pattern. <laughs> okay, now, I want you to fill in some things here. That is a triangle, believe it or not. <laughs> and you thought you were going to get a straight line tonight, didn't you? Well, for a change. <laughs> All right, now, in every, everything that God does, it always is stamped with the threeness of God upon it. Anything, any, any truth in the Bible. I have about 15 of them here and there's no chance of even looking at it. We're just picking out one. There's a threeness in this, what we've got here on your notes, the typical triology. All right, the first thing you can put up on your notes here is what we refer to as the prototype. Okay, the prototype. Let's, I'll, put, I'll put the typical triology down first. 
just to help your feeble minds here, okay? Uh, the prototype, and then over here we have the type, and then whenever you have a type, you must have the anti-type. All right, let's just go through this and break it up. So it's impossible in any truth in the Bible, if we had time, but we don't want to get too hermeneutical here, that every truth in the Bible has this stamp of threeness upon it, the stamp of God, the, 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 the threeness of God stamped upon it. You must have the prototype, and then if there's a prototype, you have the type, and then over that, against that, you have the anti-type. Now, let me just amplify this a wee little bit here. When we talk about the prototype, or another word is the archetype, we're talking about the original. The original. You know, I mean, we do this thing when we make a car. There's always a prototype, the original, the model, and then there's the model made, and then there's the real McCoy. Okay, so the prototype, the original, and the original of everything. Everything originates in heaven. We have this heavenly pattern, the heavenly prototype. We'll illustrate this in a moment after we get through the hermeneutics here. So we have the heavenly prototype, the archetype, archetype, the heaven's original, the original pattern, the first of its kind. So everything begins in heaven, the prototype, the original, the heavenly thing. Okay, then when we have the prototype, the heavenly or the original order casts a shadow on earth and the type is the shadow. We have the Old Testament type, the Old Testament shadow. And as I've said before, that uh, quoting from the Apostle Paul, Colossians 2:17 and so forth, and Hebrews and what have you, that all the things under the law uh, were shadows. In fact, let's just illustrate this a moment. For instance, uh, we'll be seeing this, but say, uh, when we look at the heavenly tabernacle, there was the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly temple. Then it casts its shadow upon earth. And so the feast of the law, the tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle of David, temple of Solomon, the Aaronic priesthood, uh, the animal sacrifices, uh, the festivals, the festival occasions, Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles, everything, all these things happen unto them for types and examples and written for our admonition. So uh, the heavenly, the prototype casts its shadow on the earth, the Old Testament type. And then, of course, in the middle, the cross. So when Jesus comes, he fulfills and abolishes, by fulfillment, all the Old Testament types of the shadows. And let me say it again, what I've said before, that if I was standing here and the sun is up there, the sun would cast my shadow. And so if I want to find out or you want to find out whose shadow it is, what do we do? We begin at the beginning or the end of the shadow here and we start just following the shadow through. And eventually as we follow the shadow through, we eventually come to him whose shadow it was. So Paul is saying that all these things in the Old Testament happened unto them for types and shadows. And so we, we go back to the age of the shadow and we follow the shadow through the feast of Israel, uh, through the tabernacle of Moses, the ironic priesthood, bells and smells, incense and nonsense, tabernacle of David, temple of Solomon. We just follow the shadow through and eventually we come to him whose shadow it was, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to the church. Amen? Can we say amen? All right, now... Once the cross abolished the type and the shadow and the temporalness of the old covenant, we come to the anti-type. And when we talk about anti-type, 
We're not talking about uh, against the type, over against the type, but it's the fulfillment. Okay, so we have the fulfillment. The anti-type is the fulfillment of the type. As, and so most of the Old Testament typical things have this expression, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be. The as and the so, the type and the antitype. All right, so, now just as the shadow, the type on earth, corresponded only in a shadow form, and this is the earthly thing now, the earthly thing, the earthly shadow, type and shadow, corresponded in its earthliness to the heavenly, the prototype. When we come to here, we come into the spiritual thing. And this is seen in the church, in people. And it has to correspond with this thing. So we have this uh, order here, right through the cross and then there. So the prototype, the heavenly original, casting its shadow on the earth, the earthly, and then through the cross being abolished and finding its antitypical fulfillment in Christ and the church. So that's, that's, that's true of every truth. I've got 15 of them on my list here and it's just such a vast subject. Uh, how many have understood what I've said tonight? Okay, the hermeneutical thing. Now, I said all that to lay a foundation of what I want to say. Now, when we come to this typical triology and what I want to do here, watching our time, it just seems to fly, on this temple, antichrist, apostasy, uh, please keep this in mind. All right, now we're going to look at, first of all, number one, the heavenly pattern. Then number two, we're going to go to the earthly pattern in Israel. And then number three, see how our time goes, we're going to go to what happens in the church. Okay? Some of you have heard me say this before. I believe that the Bible teaches that Antichrist will come from the church. So you needn't go looking at Hitler or Mussolini. Some of us back in the dark ages, every time we got out an Antichrist, Hitler, Mussolini, Tom, Dick and Harry, Kissinger, and somebody shoots them, and then we have to look for another one. I believe the Bible teaches the Antichrist comes from the church. Why are you looking at me like a cow looking at a new like a cow looking at a new gate? Why don't we just go over to just one ver verse to sort of settle you at ease for a moment? You should see what I see from up here. That's why I've been tempted to wear dark glasses. But then I couldn't read what I was writing. <laughs> First John chapter two, just a moment. At the end of the book, we win, so it's all right. <laughs> Joyce was praying that we might be edified. I'm just wondering if we're going to get terrified. First uh, John chapter 2, just, uh, this is just off the cuff here. Verse 18. First, that's little John, this is now. First John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children. Nice way to talk to us old people like that, isn't it? It is, it is the eschaton, it's the last time, it's the end time. 
And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the eschaton, the last time. They, who? The Antichrists went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, and so say all of us, if if they would have no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be revealed, unveiled, that they are not all of us. You mean Antichrist coming out of the church? Wait till we get to the guy. Okay, everybody with me so far? All right, now I want you to fill in three words here. First of all, under number one, we're looking at the heavenly pattern and these words are going to be repeated. But number one, we've got A. First thing I want you to uh, fill in here is temple. Now what we're trying to explore together, and what I'm trying to get you to believe what I, I believe now, having un un unlearned things, is we're trying to find out if the Antichrist is going to sit up in the temple of God and show himself that he is God, egotheistic. Is it a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem that we need to go there for a misguided tour? Or is the temple the church? All right. Let's go to your scriptures on your sheet there. And I'll make my statement now. The scriptures clearly teach that there is a heavenly temple or a heavenly tabernacle. Can we all say amen at least to that one? The scriptures teach that, but I'd like you to look at the scriptures. Okay, Revelation chapter 11. Verse 19. Revelation 11, 19. Now these scriptures have been in your Bible for 2,000 years. But sometimes we read them and never see them. All right, Revelation 19, and uh, we'll read the verse here. And the temple of God was opened in Jerusalem. No, what does it say? The temple of God was open in heaven. Now we're looking at the prototype. I, I hope the Holy Spirit helps you to get, lay hold of this thing because when I saw it, it was just like a, a revelation, well, inspiration, you know, illumination on the revelation given by inspiration to talk hermeneutically here. But the temple of God was open in heaven, the real temple, the prototype, the original temple. And there was seen in his temple the ark. The real ark of God. The ark of God that was going to be in the tabernacle of Moses down here was only a shadow of the heavenly ark. And all that that ark represents as the very throne, blood-stained now, a blood-stained throne of God, that Jesus took blood and sprinkled it on that Ark of the Covenant, the throne, the mercy seat. And the moment the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple the Ark of his Covenant, the Ark of his Testament, and there were lightnings, voices, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. And all those things are signs of God coming into activity. Once you see the temple of God open in heaven and the Ark of the Covenant, and there's these lightnings and flashings forth and voices and 
rumblings and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. God, it's God coming into activity. And the moment you get there, well, we can't get sidetracked under this because chapter 12 is not there. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, the woman. May I just throw this out just for nothing. Revelation chapter 11 opens with a vision of an earthly temple and the unmeasured outer court. It closes with, within the veil, the most holy place of the heavenly temple and the woman there, who I believe is the bride of Christ, is standing within the veil before the Ark of the Covenant. She's the bride of Christ. She's entered within the veil on the great day of atonement. And that's the only time the Ark was seen. So there's much significances in this book that are skipped over. Anyway, all we need to pick up at the moment is there's a heavenly temple. Let's go to the next tremendous scripture, Revelation 15. Revelation 15, and we'll pick up in uh, verses 1 through to 5. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels, having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, so many things flood into my mind on this, so I just have to restrain myself. The sea of glass was empty back in chapter 4. There was nobody on it. And it was clear as crystal. Something's happening now. Sea of glass mingled with fire. Fiery trials. And it's reserved for a particular company of people. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, his image, his mark, his name, stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I think of the sea of glass. I think of the Red Sea. I think of those who got the victory over the beastly Pharaoh and sang the song of Moses and the Lamb. All that happened there. Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, nations, ages. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and listened to the double, the two words here. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in, his, in heaven was opened. And, and while I'm on this, I just don't want to get into eschatology too much, so we're on it. It is such a serious time here. And what is happening in this chapter, so serious it is in verse uh, 8, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, holy smoke, and from the glory of his power, uh, from the glory of God, and from his power. And here's the tragic thing, and we just haven't got time to sidetrack. I get tempted to sidetrack here. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And I heard a great voice out of the temple 
saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So here's activity in the heavenly temple, the original thing. And in 11, chapter 11, 19, we see the temple of the ark, the most holy place, heaven's holiest of all, within the veil, the ark of the covenant. But when we get to chapter 15, seven angels with seven vials of wrath are going to pour something out on earth from heaven. And no man was able to enter into the temple. And that's tragic. That is one of the worst moments in human history that's coming on the face of the earth. Because when no man can go into the temple to restrain wrath, that's it. We miss the glory of what's, what's in these things. All right. Let's go over to a couple of other scriptures here. Uh, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 and verse 5, just confirming the same thought that there's a heavenly tabernacle and a heavenly temple. Okay, Hebrews 8 and verse 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. Heavenly things, the prototype, the original, the heavenly temple, heavenly tabernacle. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle, the type, the shadow, for see says he that ye make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount because so serious was all the details of this earthly thing because of a heavenly pattern that the, that the Bible just hides we understand the heavenly by the earthly we understand the invisible order by the earthly order we follow the shadow we come to the prototype we follow the type to bring us to the prototype so Heavenly. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, just a couple of verses from here. And uh, verse, uh, we'll pick up in verse, oh, where do we go here? There's so much here. Uh, verse 1 a little bit. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden sense and the ark of the covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat. And this part always uh, amuses me in a sense, or provokes me, of which we cannot now speak particularly. I would like whoever wrote Hebrews to have spoken a bit more particularly because of what I think he had in mind. How many ever feel that reading that? All right, then, uh, now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Spirit, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing, which was a figure for the time then present. Uh, verse 10, the latter part, imposed on them until the time of reformation. Brings us to the cross. But, verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, the heavenly, the prototype, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this material earthly building, 
neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And then it just goes right through the chapter. Let's go to verse uh, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things, okay? It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things. Now, we, uh, I think enough of us have, have uh, uh, you know, enough knowledge of the tabernacle here, but we think of the various pieces of furniture and so forth. So when Aaron comes in on the great day of atonement and enters within the veil and sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat, it was necessary that the pattern, the earth through the type, the shadow, uh, of things in the heavens, this shadow of things in the heaven be purified with these animal blood, but the heavenly things, the heavenly temple, the heavenly tabernacle needs to be uh, purified with better sacrifices than these. The blood of animals might cleanse the earthly shadow, the earthly tabernacle and temple, but it takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse that. Now, why does heaven need cleansing? Because that was where the first Antichrist was manifest. Sin began in heaven. Now, we get so selfish, and all of us are guilty of this, we see redemption entirely from a selfish viewpoint. Oh, God, save me. Forgive me. Get me out of hell. Do something for me. What can I get out of serving Christ? I'll serve him for what I can get out of him. Oh, no, that's just part of it. When Jesus died on the cross... He came from heaven to earth to get blood and he took that blood and body from earth back to heaven because sin has to be dealt with in the heavens. Can you say, I mean, is this, is this sound theology? Let's go over to one more verse here. In Job 15, 15, a verse you may have read over the, the dark ages. 15. How many think we've just got a great, fantastic, a great, big, wonderful God? Listen to Job 15, 15. What does it mean here, Job 15, 15? Especially the latter part. Or verse 14, 15 will lead into, What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous? Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. And listen to this statement. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. The heavens are not clean in his sight. Why? Because sin began in heaven. Sin came to earth. So not only does the atonement have to deal with sin in earth, it has to cleanse heaven. Now the implications in that, and that's why when you get to Revelation chapter 12, the great controversial chapter, and Satan has to be cleansed out of heaven. And it says when Satan is cast out of heaven, they overcame him by the blood. Let's always exalt the blood of Jesus because there's enough power in that blood to blast Satan out of heaven. All right, I think, have I convinced you enough anyway? There's much more we could say on that, but have I convinced you first of all that the heavenly, there is a heavenly temple and heavenly tabernacle. Amen? All right, let's move on quickly to B now. And our time is almost gone already. Okay, B, 
Next thing I want you to put in here is the Antichrist. Okay, we're following this triology, the Antichrist. All right, now, just because of our time, and you'll have to bring this sheet along next week uh, as we continue here, the Antichrist. The first Antichrist in the heavenly temple was Satan. And I've given you scriptures which are quite familiar to you, where in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, O day star? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend, I will exalt myself, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times Satan says, I will, as he exalts himself against God, against Christ, against the Word. He becomes the first Antichrist. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, rose up against God, perfect in wisdom and beauty but he rose up against the word. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, as we, uh, looks like we're going to have to almost wrap up here. Let's move quickly through this part. I want to at least complete the first part of the pattern. Revelation chapter 12. And we'll pick up in verse 7. Now we've already seen chapter 11, verse 19, the temple. Now in verse 7 of chapter 12, as the book continues, and there was war in heaven. All the wars of mankind will be chicken feed compared to this war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Okay, let's fill in C here for the moment. Your first apostasy, your falling, fallen angels. Okay, now, let's uh, pick this up here, okay. Uh, uh, we have the heavenly temple, the heavenly tabernacle, the original sinner, man is not the original sinner, Satan is the original sinner, sinner. he is the first antichrist against Christ, and that's why Christ had to come to deal with him. He rose up against Christ. In the book of Hebrews, we have intimations of this, that when God brought forth his Son, the Father said, let all the angels of God worship him. And Satan said, I'm not going to worship him. I'm not going to worship the word. He rose up against the word. And so God said, okay, I'm going to send the word to deal with you. So we have the first Antichrist up there in heaven, in the heavenly temple, the origin of sin. And what happens? We have warfare here, the ultimate thing. Uh, and prevail not, neither was there a place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And hallelujah, his angels were cast out with him. Verse 12, Therefore, therefore rejoice, ye heavens, plural, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, out of which the Antichrist comes from, and of the sea, out of which the false prophet comes from. Chapter 13 deals with those two beasts. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows he has about a short time. Let's turn over to Second, uh, second Peter, uh, and, or Jude, Jude 6, just before Revelation. Let's finish on this first part at least briefly. Jude 6. The Bible clearly teaches that there was a bunch of angels that fell. Jude 6, 
and the angels which kept not their first estate principality but left their own habitation he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 our last scripture 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 for if God spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down to Tartarus special jail a special hell for angelic spirits and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment alright let's finish on this and we'll have to pick it up next week our first prototype the heavenly the original we have the heavenly temple and tabernacle the first antichrist Satan Lucifer who rose up against the word when God said all oh, that all the angels worship him Satan rose up so God sent the word to deal with him and then Satan began a whispering campaign amongst the angels said oh this God's a monster and if you serve me and just do your thing and exercise your own free will I'll give you I'll make you a deacon an elder in the angelical church so we have the first falling away the first apostasy how many see the pattern here now what happens in heaven happens in earth and as I've said before in a previous study our Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven what I'm saying there's certain things that happen in heaven that repeat themselves in earth I hope you've got something out of this tonight and I hope it puts the fear of God into us all so that we don't fall away we'll be picking this up next week so do make sure that you bring your lesson sheet along that we've given out tonight okay let's bow our heads in prayer so that mothers and fathers can pick up their children father we just pray that you'll take uh, the word we've shared tonight write it deep in our hearts father realize Lord the vast plan of redemption that touches not only earth but touches heaven touches the universe we believe Lord that we're living in the time when you're going to deal with Satan fallen principles and powers and make an end of sin and bring an everlasting righteousness we believe it Lord seal your word in our hearts so that we will serve you 100% all the days of our life we ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and everybody said Amen we hope you enjoyed today's teaching. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org where you can access PDF downloads of all of Kevin Connor's books as well as his video training courses including the Key of Knowledge Seminar and Foundations of Christian Doctrine.